0: Hey everyone, I'm Dr. J.D. Romick, and today we're here to talk about how we have more power over our health than we think. I'm really excited to bring you our first guest today, Dr. Kim Eppin. I will let her give kind of an intro, but uh, she is also a faculty here at George Fox. And the first time I met her, she was giving a lecture on... Chronic illness, pulmonary, physical therapy, and I'm very excited because she's brilliant, but also going to share some of her wisdom from her field today.
1: Oh, so, thanks, JD. Yeah. Kim, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your passions, what oh, well, you're what you're doing. <laughs> well, um, I'm Kim Eppen, um, and I'm here as your guest um, to share and hopefully give you all some tips today on um, how you can maybe better manage your health and realize how much more control over your health you think you have or may, you may know that you have. Um, as JD said, I'm a physical therapist. I've been a practicing physical therapist uh, for about 29 years. Um, the bulk of my career has been centered around working with people with chronic disease, specifically pulmonary disease. But a lot of these people have a lot of other, a lot of other chronic diseases. Um, most of my experience has been at a large Midwestern um hospital um, tertiary care center. I uh, see people with pretty severe diseases. Um, and I've been an adjunct clinical faculty um, professor at uh, the uh, University of Iowa for many years. And also, I was blessed enough to get a position here at George Fox University as a uh, um, an associate professor of physical therapy as well. Um, and so I get to come out here a couple times a year and teach and spend time with other people and spread the word about physical activity, health, how your health matters and things that you can do about your health. Yeah. I've personally been a lifelong, lifelong exerciser. So it's a joy and pleasure for me. It's in my DNA to come and just share how important physical activity is for your health and just um, leading a healthy lifestyle and what that can bring to you.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love that. And you also got your PhD. Is that correct? Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> it's amazing.
0: Um, so just Thinking about the state of the world, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually in the field that I am because I felt like physical therapy could make a huge impact in the epidemic that we're facing of chronic health conditions. Um, they impact majority of Americans. We've got cancer, um, cardiovascular disease or heart disease, uh, stroke, diabetes, obesity, um, arthritis. I know I'm missing some in there, but these chronic health conditions cost billions, if not trillions of dollars a year. You probably have more data on that than I do, but it's a huge epidemic. And I have recently learned though, a lot of these are preventable and they're kind of tied in with our
1: behaviors. Can you tell us a little bit about that relationship? Yeah. Um, There's so much truth behind what you said. Um, Several years ago, I went through um, a clinical health coach training specifically for chronic disease management uh, because it's so prevalent and um, the traditional medical model really has evolved in a way where it's become uh, designed to really manage, help to manage chronic disease. It doesn't cure it, but um, just kind of helps to manage it. One of the things I learned in that course was something called the 80-80-80 rule. And what that said was that 80% of healthcare dollars are spent on chronic illness. 80% of those dollars are spent on high cost, often preventable services like hospitalizations um, and emergency department visits and 80% of healthcare is self-care, the majority of which takes place in the bedroom, the kitchen, and the bathroom. Wow. And when I heard that, I, I, this, I was just like, wow, like that is amazing. It really does show how the healthcare system has really become a chronic disease management system and that we have much more control over our health than we may think or know, because yeah. what we do <laughs> yeah. most of the time is what matters. And right. so it really is the daily things that matter. Um, that, you know less than two percent of of diseases are really due to some sort of genetic genetic mutation. Um, the the thought is, is that most of um, what impacts our health and our health resilience is related to epigenetic signaling from our environment and the things that we do on a daily basis. So when you start to think about the environmental exposures that you have, what does your house look like? What does your office space look like? Like, where do you spend most of your time? What does your bedroom look like? Um, What do you do in the kitchen? What do you do in the bathroom? You know, all of these things, the signaling that you get from your environment, are there toxins in your environment? What is the air that you breathe? What is the the foods that you're consuming? I mean, all of those things impact your overall health and your health resilience. Um, and then our behaviors, other things. you know that's just the environmental wow. things, but yeah. but you know, what are you doing? How are you sleeping? Um, what are your relationships like in life? What's your emotional status? What's your mental health status like? Are you happy? Um, what is your you know mental predisposition? Do you exercise? How much do you move a day? Um, less than seventy eight percent of Americans get the minimum amount of physical activity that's recommended a day just for general health benefits. Wow, so that's a really small percent of people that are actually moving as much as they should or could to really help to manage or prevent some of these chronic diseases that you mentioned um, and it's also been estimated that about um uh, we spend about eight, thirteen hours a day sitting, yeah. You know, and that's a huge part of our day and that's being inactive. And so when you start to hear these things, you start to think about like, okay, what am I doing? You know, of course I start to reflect on what am I doing? What's my lifestyle like, you know, and you start to look around and you start to see how those things may be impacting a lot of the patients that we're seeing. We're privileged enough to have an opportunity to work with people and, 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 walk with them in their most vulnerable states. And I take that very, um, I I view that as a privilege, you know, and so creating that safe space for people to come and, and have an opportunity to help people and, and know what kinds of things that people maybe can be doing to help improve their overall health and to be able to share that with them. So I'll pause here and let you chime in. I was going to say,
0: you uh, just said so much that I feel like we need to unpack or that we could unpack first and foremost, that our our health care system seems more like a sick care or an illness care system where we're really just managing these people that come to us. And, you know, I I love doctors. I love medical doctors. They have so many tools or only so many tools that can help with these illnesses. And, you know, I'm I'm a big supporter of Western medicine, but that is staggering to be able to manage all of those facets, all of those different And I really want to get into like, what types of behaviors can lead to that. But not only managing the person's illness, but then their
1: life. Yeah, well, interesting. And I don't mean to interrupt you. But chronic disease really is a condition. If we look at the definition of what chronic disease is, it's a condition that lasts, something that lasts for uh, greater than equal to three months that can't be cured by a medication or a vaccine. Wow. So once again, that is the CDC's definition of what chronic disease is. So it can't be cured by medication. What does medication do? It helps to manage yeah. maybe a condition or keep the symptoms at bay. But these behaviors, these things that we have more control over or the things we do on a daily basis, those have the, probably the greatest impact on our health and overall well-being. Yeah,
0: that gives me hope. What you just said, because the other thing I wanted to impact is you said less than 2% of conditions or or are, are genetic makeup has less to do with it than yeah. our behaviors and our environment, yeah. which is empowering because the amount of patients I get that say, oh, my dad had such and such, so I'm going to get such and such, that's powerful yeah. because that instills a lot of fear
1: in people. So that the fact that we have more control is really powerful. Well, I think that you know people could have a genetic predisposition to possibly getting something, but when you if you have a genetic predisposition or you have a family history of something, mm-hmm. Knowing that the behaviors that you do, the activities you engage in, the things you put in your body, the amount of sleep that you get, all mm-hmm. of those things can uh, work in your favor or work against you. And those are choices that you have. And so um, knowing that you have more power over your health than you think or you may know, you may able to you, be, you may be able to mitigate the chances of you developing, a full blown disease by Mm -hmm. doing things that maybe are in your best, you know, in your best interest from a health standpoint, if health matters to you. Yeah. And then that's a choice everybody has to make, because health may look or feel very different for different people. You know, health isn't just the absence of disease. It's really a state of complete social, physical, and emotional well being.
0: Yeah, wow. And that's true that all aspects of your life kind of have to be in balance for you to feel optimal health, yeah. or at least in, in my experience yeah. and majority of my patients' experiences, it's it's rarely just one thing. Uh, and it all folds in, which I think makes it even more complicated to try to treat folks like this or, or um, maybe be an individual that is battling a chronic illness because you don't always know the root cause, but controlling all the things that you can, which is really what I hope to get out of this conversation today is I want to know what we can control. But yeah. I feel like you may have wanted to say something in the middle of that. Diatribe.
1: No, I just know, I guess one thing I want to say is, is, you know, we talk about being in control of your health, like ultimately, God is in control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't want us to think that, you know, we, we have the ultimate control. Right. But I guess the point that we want to make here, um, I guess I should speak for myself, is that if health is something that matters to you, mm-hmm. then there are things that you can do to optimize your state of health and well-being. yeah, and really, that's what we're trying to I guess that's the message that I'd like to get across, or what yeah. are some of those the biggest contributing behaviors that have been shown to be linked to chronic disease, and those are um, tobacco use, poor nutrition, and lack of physical activity? So those are the three big ones. But then there are other things that that can be considered into that overall health equation and that are that include like uh, relationships, um, like I said, physical activity, um, uh, your emotional or mental well-being, sleep, mm-hmm. making sure that you're getting enough sleep. I can't emphasize the importance of that enough. And that may be a topic for another episode. We're absolutely going to bring is that a, back. <laughs> a, a, something that's near and dear to my heart. I did my dissertation work in that and yeah. people with obstructive sleep apnea. So. Um, breathing, how we breathe matters, you know, bringing oxygen into our, our into our system, we're aerobic beings and how we breathe matters. Um, meditation. Um, uh, so so all of those things really, I think nutrition, Nutrition's huge, you know, so all oh, yeah. of those things really can have an impact on your overall health and well being.
0: I love that. So, so if we're talking about these behaviors, you mentioned, you know, sedentary behavior, smoking and nutrition being kind of the top three, uh, let's unpack those a little bit. We uh, mentioned already, like our day to day, you sit for thirteen hours. So, this was a revelation I had a few years ago: is that you know we commute to work. Maybe you have a short commute; that'd be great.
1: I ride my bike to work. I mean, if you're <laughs> not, blessed, not from Iowa to Oregon,
0: but <laughs> but if you're if you're blessed to live right. close, if I didn't have a thirty minute no. commute, you better believe I would be. Just a free zone here. I'm right, just saying, right? No, but I love that. You know, I would I would love to be able to ride my bike yeah. or walk. Like that would yep. be a dream scenario. But a lot of people commute. Sure. Um, Then they sit sit or have a sedentary job or they, um, you know, then they have lunch. Maybe they eat at their desk because they have so much work to do or they sit with colleagues and eat. Then it's work. Then commuting. Maybe you get an hour of activity in if you stop by the gym. Yeah. Then you sit at home after a long day of mental exhaustion and you just want to relax. So you're sitting on the couch watching the newest Netflix or Amazon Prime show, we're not sponsored by the way, (laughs) but just, you you know how the American lifestyle is. So it's staggering. Like how do we overcome that? And, and I know that's a big, thing to unpack, but center yeah. behaviors, what do yeah. we need to do? Yeah.
1: Well, first let's kind of look at what the CDC recommends for just general health benefits. Cause there are some benchmarks that we can strive for that have been shown to kind of decrease your risk for chronic disease. So the CDC recommends that you try to get at least 150 minutes of activity mm-hmm. per week at at least a moderate intensity. So what does that mean, a moderate intensity? Well, that would be a brisk walk, something that kind of makes you short of breath. If you want want a quantifiable um, benchmark, it would be walking at about three miles per hour. If you can't Mm -hmm. walk at three miles an hour, then you walk at whatever pace feels like it's at a brisk pace for you, and then work up to maybe reaching that three mile per hour pace. But at least 150 minutes per week, or, for, or if you're able to exercise at higher intensity is about 75 minutes per week. I and mean, this is, I'm talking about endurance type exercise. So sustained, if possible, physical type of exercise, which would include something like walking, biking, anything that kind of sort of gets your heart rate up. Yeah. Now, obviously there are greater health benefits if you do more exercise. So yeah. greater health benefits, the goal would be 300 minutes per week of um, you know, moderate intensity exercise or more like 150 minutes per week of um, high intensity exercise, or it can be a combination of those things. So those are kind of sort of just some baseline benchmarks to, to strive for for mm-hmm. general health benefits. Obviously, if you're looking to be a more competitive athlete or you're trying to improve your cardiorespiratory fitness and higher intensity and longer sure. durations matter. Resistance training exercise. Also, um, you're the resistance training expert. I so I'm all I'm gonna, about it. I'm gonna like hand off to you. What are the recommendations? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or <laughs> well, what would you recommend, JD? You know, Dr. Rollman. What I would recommend <laughs> as a minimum. So you know, a couple days
0: of strength training, hitting every major muscle group, and you should feel like it's exerting yourself. I know it, you know throughout the day, you're you're moving things around, lifting, but it's that intentional lift. Um, A lot of my clients that I have will have their younger, you know, their children lift things for them, their grandchildren, their spouse, um, and not just targeting females here or anything, but we, if, as soon as we give up kind of our independence of lifting things for ourselves, pushing ourselves off the floor, we take that for granted being young and healthy people, but as we age, it's amazing how this, this decrease in muscle mass really impacts our longevity. So if you can strength train a minimum of two days a week, working those major muscle groups, getting your heart rate up a little bit, you don't need to, you don't need to be exhausted. You know, you can't breathe, but, but stressing the system so that it is more robust for your future. And lean muscle mass is a great predictor of longevity as well. So that that's striking to me that, you know, we're not going to get big and bulky and scary, but actually our life Expectancy, our life, our vitality is yeah. expected to increase if we have more lean muscle. Yeah. So I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. I always challenge my female my female clients to lift things as much as they can, yeah. get down on the floor and push themselves up a few times a day. Yeah, really challenge themselves. Yeah. And those are really good
1: practical tips. Um, like you said, muscle muscle matters. It really yeah. does. I think so many people think, well, you know, it's part of the normal aging process to just lose your muscle mass. Is it really part of the normal aging process physiologically or is it because as we age we stop doing a lot of the things that we were doing earlier on in life that build <laughs> yeah. muscle i i would agree with the latter exactly honestly and so um i doing those things and and i think sometimes people are more fearful like oh i might hurt myself if i yeah. do this well using improper body mechanics may lead to injury, right. but maintaining your strength and doing things yeah. the proper way. You the know, more
0: you can... test the system, the
1: less variability you have day to day, and you'll be able to avoid falling, yeah. or you'll be able to avoid those injuries. Yeah. There's a lot of data out there to show that decreased quadriceps strength is one of the greatest predictors of falls. Yeah. Um, and so, quadriceps being your thigh muscles, so there are yep. simple exercises that you can do to help strengthen your quadriceps. You don't have to go to a gym and use heavy weights or anything. Just doing a repetitive sit-to-stand exercise, yeah, um, or seated knee extensions. You know, getting ankle weights and and you yeah. know, straightening out your legs. So you don't have to have a lot of sophisticated equipment. Totally. Um, the CDC just to kind of go back to some yeah. benchmarks of recommendations for general health benefits for resistance training would be two days per week. Mm-hmm. Um, at least one exercise, if not two, for some of the major muscle groups of the body. Yeah. Yeah. So, like your chest, your back, your legs, um, your arms, things like that. And so, yeah. if you're not familiar with the types of exercises you should do, um, consulting with a physical therapist, yep. you've got one right here. Go see your PT. Um, <laughs> hey, come um, see me. You know, and sometimes, yeah. you know, personal trainers, um, and there's information out there, but, yeah. but that would be recommended two days per week, non consecutive days if possible. Mm-hmm. And that would be just the minimum yeah. for, for resistance training to yeah. get the strength training benefits.
0: Yeah, I would so, argue that, you know, we do need more movement yeah. than than less. I think we we see in the data that there are deficits if you work out for longer than 6 hours a day. <laughs> like that's not good for you to exercise at 6 hours of moderate to vigorous intensity activity, but many of us
1: aren't getting quite 6 hours right day in, day out without recovery, without right. rest. And, so And if we circle back to what we talked about in the very beginning, with the epigenetic signaling from what we do on a daily basis, mm-hmm. it's those daily behaviors that matter most. Exactly. And so being a weekend warrior where you go out and you try to like get this large bolus of activity, you know, going yeah. to play basketball for four hours with right. your buddies or, um, you know, and, and I'm not detracting from that, totally. you know, it's really, those are great activities, but it's the everyday things that matter most. So if you're sedentary for five days a week, and then Saturdays are your day to go out and do your exercise, you can't just backfill Those activity, you know, the lack of activity during the day. So it's those sedentary, long sedentary periods of time that affect your physiology. Mm -hmm. Um, They decrease your metabolism. Um, It leads to decreased breathing depth and frequency, which has to do with your lung health and your overall, you know, just basic overall health. And once again, you know, we can talk about that. There's even something called email apnea now. There's that's actually a term um, where people get so engrossed with what they're doing when they're sitting for prolonged periods of time. They their breathing actually starts to become more shallow. Oh, wow! And some of the negative health consequences they're finding are, are similar to that of people who have like diagnosed obstructive sleep apnea, oh my. so cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, um, you know, arrhythmias, um, decreased insulin sensitivity. Um, it yeah. just sets you up for a whole sequelae of things. And so, be aware of that, take yeah. deep breaths. But we'll come back to that. Well, I, I, I want to dive deeper in your breathing, sure, because sure. that's. Important, but the, but as far as getting those physical activity guidelines or the 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 targets for physical activity, in probably the best strategy to do is to minimize all these prolonged sedentary periods of time throughout the day. So if, you, if if you have a job that requires you to sit, and you may be thinking right now, well, geez, you know, I I work in IT, I sit most of the day, I get my half an hour in at lunch, and I'm good to go. I'm meeting that minimum, you know, recommended 150 right. minutes per week. Keep in mind that's the minimum. Mm-hmm. And the amount of time that you're being sedentary, there are still negative, you know, health implications associated with that. So, if you can come up with strategies to like get up and move around, even if you stand up, there's standing workstations mm-hmm. now. Walking across the room to talk to a colleague rather than Instant email them messaging. or right, it's <laughs> right. like or texting them. Like yeah. the whole world is built around how can we make things easier for people you and know? more efficient, quicker. And, yeah. um, you know, during the public health emergency and, and and the COVID epidemic that we had, where people were Um, socially distance, you know, that fed into the convenience. And and thankfully, we had a way to communicate with people because relations are so important. But I think a lot of people haven't gotten back to actually having human contact with other people. And that's really important for overall health and well being and physical activity, get up, walk across the room, talk to your colleague, have that facial interaction, you know, yeah. So there are ways that you can hopefully increase the amount of physical activity you're doing a day to add to the getting that total volume that's recommended. Once again, just for general health benefits, recognizing that for most people, more is better. Yeah. The sooner in life you start exercising, the better, because you have health protective benefits from physical activity. So those people who start exercising and who exercise on a regular basis throughout the lifespan have improved quality of well, it feeds into quality of life, yeah. but improved health status and health resilience, yeah, which is big. So that if you do develop an illness, your resilience to overcome that is is greater if yeah, you're, or if you're healthier.
0: That makes sense, and we did see that during COVID. That was very important to be, yeah. you know, to have really those positive effects of exercise. And I will say, you know, working with frail older adults, often they respond the same way to exercise. So knowing that it's not too late, wherever you are,
1: and that for me, like for spending. Twenty-nine years working with patients who have chronic disease, and most of these patients are elderly, and many of them—I would say most of them—have been lifelong non-exercisers. And here you are telling them now that exercise is going to be probably the best thing that yeah. you can do for your health and well-being and improve your quality of life. And yeah. you know, yeah. give the sales pitch, but um, you know, you have to get people to buy into what you're selling. And, and yeah. but once they start to see the benefits, the people who are the least fit, who have not been exercising. It's the smallest amount of activity that can translate into the greatest amount of quality of life because you can go from being dependent on other people to gaining a little bit of fitness and mobility and strength. And that could then bridge you to being independent with things. And just think of how empowering that can be for an individual to go from. Yes. That's amazing. Yes. And yeah. So I get goosebumps just, you yes. know, I think about like what, like, that's why I'm passionate about like yeah. the, and blessed to feel like I've been called to do what I'm doing. And now being yeah. able to share that with other people too, you know.
0: It is amazing. And I would agree some of the biggest impacts I've had on folks are the ones that Maybe they do have lower level fitness and just empowering them with simple things like the sit to stands or, um, going on a walk or doing a six minute walk test. It is so empowering to show them how much they've improved and now they can walk to their mailbox, you know, and it it goes for everybody though. It's really depends on what's important to you. And exactly. If walking to your mailbox is everything and we can work to get there. Amazing. If you want to do a half marathon, great. Yeah. So Kim, if we're talking about, you know, improving this, these health chronic health behaviors, you know, nutrition is something we could unpack for another 30 minute episode. Um, and, and working on smoking, of course, you know, cessation, I'm not an expert in that field, but if today we were to give our audience, you know, three top tips for this, you know, one step forward or, or making an incremental change in their life, you know, what are the three top tips you have for maybe it's improving movement throughout their lifespan or, or maybe some closing thoughts you have or
1: yeah anything. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think one important thing is to, is to recognize that what you do on a daily basis has the greatest impact on your health and health resilience and your overall well being. So just, you know, pause for a minute and think about like, what does a day look like for you? What do you do on a daily basis? Um, and, and how that may be impacting you. What's your environment like? Do you have plants in your home? Um, Mm -hmm. is your, is your house or the environment in which you spend the most amount of time? Is that a happy, healthy, healing environment? And Mm -hmm. if it's not, are there things that you can do to help improve upon that? Yeah. Because you're receiving signals from that environment that is affecting your overall health. Yeah. So, you know, that would be the first thing is what you do on a daily basis really has the greatest impact on health mm-hmm. or, and, and your health resistant or resilience. Another thing um, is, um, you know, for people to define what health means to them, you know, what does it look like or feel like to you? Because what health looks like or feels like to me might be very different. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to think we're a lot, pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's our bond, but I know. <laughs> but like what what does it look like to you? And for somebody that yeah. might mean, you know, being able to sit in my recliner and watch TV, but also be able to walk to the mailbox or like for me, uh, you know, I'm a cyclist. I, I you know, I <laughs> Oh yes <and laughs> like being on my bike is my happy place. You know, yeah. I went for a ride this morning and you know, being from Iowa, where it's pretty flat and there's cornfields all over the place, <laughs> to be able to have the the joy and the God given ability to like jump on my bike with my husband and and go for a ride through the beautiful countryside here in Oregon and to see, you know, the vineyards and the and the uh, tree farms and it's just beautiful. So you know, we're pretty lucky. Oh gosh, yes, yeah. it's, it's amazing. But like that brings me joy. And then that joy just spills over into the rest of the day for me. And so along with that, I would say, you know, choose activities that bring you joy, you know, and, and surround yourself with joy. And, um, I don't know if anybody else here in the studio has any other tips or things they want to share about. Caleb um, was talking about a run he went on before, and we'd love to
0: hear about that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I took a run a couple of weeks ago and I didn't want to go on the run when I started.
0: (laughs) Mood follows action. This is true. However,
2: (laughs) Halfway through, I realized I was having a really great time and I, I was acknowledging my legs work and my lungs work. And all of a sudden I just had a big smile on my face and I was just worshiping God in that moment. And I didn't expect it to be worshiped, but it just came out of me. It's so, so beautiful.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think the idea of exercise is always worse than the after effects. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to move. It requires energy. And our bodies, I think, typically are wanting to maintain a homeostasis but that actual that stress brings so many good healthy hormones endorphins it's amazing yeah
1: and movement perpetuates movement you know motion Mm -hmm. is lotion like our joints and our bodies were made to move Mm -hmm. and so overcoming that yeah sedentariness and just starting and and that brings me to i guess maybe the third tip you asked for three tips doing something is better than nothing yeah you know so if you're in a place in your life right now where Um, If you're listening and, you know, maybe you're thinking about starting an exercise program or um, starting a movement program or making Mm -hmm. some change in a behavior, you know, think about what that next step might be and give yourself permission to think like, hey, something is better than nothing, you know, let me move in a direction towards health. In the way that i view health you know what it looks like for me and that was my second tip is what does health look like or feel like to you and how can you move in that direction what kinds yeah. of steps can you take and doing something is better than nothing you know starting something is like like caleb said he went out for that run the other day he didn't want to do it but he yeah. did it and it yeah. just the, the joy that you get and then when you choose activities that bring you joy um, yeah. or fellowship with other people that's another tip you know yeah. it's like people who exercise together who have an accountability partner, Mm. um, tend to stick with it longer, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's a whole other topic is that ties into social connectedness as well, which is super powerful. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, rather than just having an activity like, oh, I just need to check this off the list today. Okay, I did my 30 minutes. Yeah, you know, that's great. You're meeting the CDCs, you know, bare bone minimum recommendations for general health benefits. But like, is there something you could be doing that maybe brings you joy that you can get more benefit from yeah. doing? And it doesn't have to be done all at once. That's the point I want to make. So dispersing your activity throughout the day, especially if you have a sedentary job, yeah, could actually bring you more health benefits than if you were sedentary all day long that's and then just got up and did your 30 minutes and checked it off the list. So. Yeah.
0: No, that's really important. And I, I I mean, I'm taking notes even in my head of, you know, are there times during my day where I notice that I could get up and move more or yeah. incorporate more connectedness during my activity instead of making
1: it a checklist. I think that's important too. I think as a healthcare provider and somebody who's worked um, for so long with people who have chronic disease, especially people who have breathing dysfunctions Mm. to see people who can't hardly breathe, whether it's COPD, asthma, uh, pulmonary fibrosis, um, even some of the post COVID sequelae that people experience uh, pulmonary manifestations from or symptoms from, um, uh, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of working with pre and post lung transplant patients, yeah. you know, it's a privilege, but to work with people who can't breathe, who wish they could. And throughout my career, hearing that message over and over again, Kim, do what you can do while you can don't ever take your health mm. for granted. And yeah. thankfully I've been a person that has never done that. I've been involved yeah. in sports and exercise. Like it's in my DNA. I'm like yeah. a dog. If I don't get yeah. exercised every day, day, <laughs> I'm with it's you. no good. I... <laughs> <laughs> Let me out of my cage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. but but, um, you know, hearing that from people who are maybe at a different point in their life, looking back, mm-hmm. you know, they would say to me like, Kim, go, go on vacation, go climb a mountain, go ride your bike, and yeah. then come back and tell us about that. Because yeah. I want to live vicarious through so you, like to share that joy with other people who can't do that anymore. Like those are lessons that I've learned and and I take take seriously and, and yeah. then try to share that with other people so that maybe other people who value their health in that way can start adopting healthier behaviors and maybe not get to a point where dis-ease, the feeling of feeling discomfort actually yeah. turns into disease, Yeah, which is actually that you know pathologic physiologic change where it transforms into an actual condition. Wow,
0: super powerful. I, I wanna ask if you have anything else, but I feel like that was <laughs> such a, uh, an important note to leave on, but um, do you have anything else you'd like to share
1: for our time today? I hope anybody listening to this podcast, at least partway through, if you were sitting, you got up and moved around. (laughs) And if you've been sitting, maybe you get up now and you move around. No, I'm just, but we we just, um, you know, I just want to thank you uh, first for inviting me to be a part of of this um, and to be able to share with other people Um, what we know works. Not only is there scientific evidence behind this, there's empirical evidence and personal evidence that, you know, movement does matter. um, As well as these other behaviors that we talked about, but letting people know that, you have some control or management. We talk about chronic disease management. Management may mean the management is on the side of chronic disease where you haven't teetered over that point of developing the condition. You're yeah. managing your health yeah, and putting the health care back in healthcare, care yeah. where it should be.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. No, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing everything you have today. And I know we will have you right back on to talk about some (laughs) of these other conditions and topics, but thank you so much, Kim.
2: This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews. And we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.